Open your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, let me just say that uh, I really appreciate being invited to come and preach to you this morning and this evening. And uh, so many of you have been so kind and uh, have been an encouragement. And I, I appreciate that. He said a lot of nice things to me privately, and uh, again, I, I don't take that for granted. And uh, if I could just say, uh, I know your pastor is gone, and I did mention in the morning service that uh, I know they are having the, uh, you know, the gift for his birthday, and you can uh, give to whoever. And I encourage you to do that. Your pastor is a good friend of mine, and uh, uh, over the years, uh, he has been very kind to me and allowed me to come and preach here and uh, uh, really has been a, a good friend and, and brother in the Lord, and I appreciate that. First Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read the first 13 verses of this chapter. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him to pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The title of my message this evening is The Call to Serve God. The Call to Serve God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would bless this service, bless the preaching of your word. 
Lord, I appreciate that we've sung praises to you. I appreciate the, the prayers that have been offered. And I add my voice to those who pray, Lord, that the word of God would go forth, that there would be uh, clarity of the message. And I pray that your spirit would empower me. And I pray, even as Pastor Shot is away, that you would bless him and that he would be a blessing in turn to uh, those to whom he's preaching this evening. And I pray for this church. I pray for Caleb as he travels on to his next ministry. I pray that he would, uh, again, uh, be a blessing uh, to those in, that, in the new church uh, where he will minister. And I pray, Father, that as we look into this passage of Scripture, that we would see the importance of being a servant. And I pray that we would see that each one of us can do something to serve you. And I, I pray that you would now uh, fill me with your spirit. If there's even one that doesn't know you as Savior, that today would be the day of his or her salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I have noticed in the world, in my professional career, that we like titles. In business, you'll say, well, this is the CEO of the company, or this is the president of this division, or the vice president, or the director. And so it is in the church. We sort of gravitate to those titles. Well, this is the pastor and the associate pastor and the youth pastor, and this one is the head usher, and this is a deacon. And, and we have all of these titles, but I, I believe it is uh, most accurate to say, regardless of what your title is, in the church of Jesus Christ, the most important title is servant. Every person who has placed his faith in Jesus Christ has answered Christ's call to follow him. Now, you may not understand all of that, and I get that. There's a lot of things I didn't understand when I trusted Christ as Savior. But in trusting Christ as Savior, we've been called to serve. And that service can take many, many forms. And not, I wish this were not the case, but we don't always as Christians value sometimes the service that others perform. We value our own service. Do you know how hard I worked for that church the other day? You know, we, we like that. We don't always value everybody else's service, but if you are serving Christ, it's important. You say, well, I came in on a church work day and I, boy, I worked hard to clean the church and to make sure it was ready for the next service. And I don't think anybody takes notice of that. Hey, listen, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. He took notice. And we've been called to serve and it's important. We sometimes err in thinking that a position of authority entitles us, careful, watch this, entitles us to supervise others as they serve while we ourselves sit back and monitor their service. But those notions are antithetical to the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. Those who attain the loftiest positions are obligated to render the greatest service. And so when we come to our text here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel, the prophet and the priest of God, has been commanded by God to travel to the little town of Bethlehem for the purpose of anointing the new king of Israel. Now, Saul had been anointed as king of Israel previously, but after a relatively short period of time, Saul demonstrated his unsuitability for that high calling. We can actually see that in a, a couple of 
instances. At one point, Saul had gathered the armies of Israel to repel an attack from the Philistines. And he waited for Samuel to come. And he began to panic because Samuel was late. And instead he said, all right, I was going to wait on Samuel to offer the sacrifice, but I'm tired of waiting. And in his patience and his, his, uh, he made a rash decision that he would offer the sacrifice and he intruded in the office of God's priest. And that was not the role of the king. And uh, he was rebuked for that. And then just in chapter 15, the previous chapter to the one we're reading, uh, Sam, uh, excuse me, Saul, King Saul was told to go to the village of the Amalekites and to slay them because they had opposed Israel and withstood them when they came out of Egypt. And uh, he said, get rid of them, get rid of all of them. And, and Saul had disobeyed the direct commandment of the Lord and he used his position to enrich himself, taking some of the spoils instead of killing it as God had said. And Samuel had to deliver a tough message in chapter 15, verse 23, telling Samuel that because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And what began with great hopefulness ended in great tragedy. And God made clear then that he sought a man with a heart like his own. And now when we come to chapter 16, God has not only found such a man, but he has prepared that man for this holy calling, to be the king over Israel. And he told Samuel the location, go to Bethlehem. He even told Samuel the family, it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse. But he did not identify more specifically the identity of Israel's next king. If I can illustrate for a moment the disagreeable nature of Saul, we read it here just a moment ago. Samuel was fearful to travel to Bethlehem because he knew that if Saul found out that he were anointing a new king, that Saul would kill him. And anointing is kind of what it sounds like. The word simply means to apply oil, and that's exactly what Saul was doing. Uh, back in those days, they didn't have glass jars with lids that you would screw on them, and they didn't have plastic Tupperware containers. Uh, they would take the oil from various plants, especially olives, and they would collect that oil in pottery vessels or animal horns. And uh, in this particular case, Samuel took a horn of oil with him to Bethlehem along with a female cow, a heifer. And the cow was going to be the sacrifice, and Samuel was then going to host a feast. And the oil was taken so that he could anoint Israel's next king. And this anointing was symbolic. It meant that God was choosing someone for his service. In this case, he was choosing Israel's next king. The oil was also symbolic of God's Holy Spirit, and it represents the Holy Spirit of the Lord. Interestingly enough, when Samuel arrived, the leaders of Bethlehem asked him, are you coming peaceably? They knew that Samuel was not only a priest of God, but a prophet, and they were concerned that he had come to pronounce judgment upon them. Now, the details of the story that I just read are pretty easy to understand. Samuel invited Jesse and his family to the feast. The seven oldest sons of Jesse passed before Samuel, but none of them were the chosen one of God. And Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any other children? And in fact, he did have one more son who was out in the flock tending the sheep. 
and that was David. And the anointing of David is a perfect example of the call of God into service. God called David for a particular mission. He called him to be the king. David was not expecting it. He was simply doing his job as a shepherd. God, and I want you to think about this, because it comes later, you, you begin to read this as you read through 1 Samuel and you begin to read about David, it becomes very clear that David's family was not a wealthy family. They were not a family with great notoriety. How was David supposed to go from the meadow to the mansion? Well, let me say this. If God was calling him, God would take care of that trip. And Jesus taught in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And can I say something? Sometimes, and this is especially true of pastors in the ministry, we sometimes get dissatisfied where we're serving and we think we can do better. Let me just say, you will never be promoted outside of God's will. See, we... I've known pastors that have gotten themselves in trouble because they left the little church to go to the big church and they were not called to the big church. Do I, do I make myself clear? And uh, be faithful where you are. And we never, oftentimes, never go higher in our Christian life because we're not faithful where we currently serve or we're not currently serving, if I could say it that way. In the case of David, he was serving. He did the little things, the menial, the unheralded, the overlooked the forgotten. He did that which was not especially valued, and yet God called him to be the next king of Israel. And we need to learn this lesson. Ultimately, it's God who calls. And we need to serve wherever God has placed us within his field of service. If you're here and you're a member of this church, God has called you to serve here. If you're here and you're not a member of this church, but you attend regularly, become a member and then get plugged in here. Serve God. If we serve God right now, in the place where we work, in the place where we live, then we put ourselves in the best position to influence others for Jesus Christ. So the, the, the message here from the text that we just read in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is that we need to serve God in the little things. Do what you know to be do. I have people ask me sometimes, how do you know the will of God? How, do you, how did you know that God called you to preach? And I would tell them, you know, I just got busy serving the Lord. And the more I serve the Lord, the more God opened doors for me to serve him until eventually uh, God made his call to ministry clear. And I would say to you, just serve where you are but serve in the little things, nothing beneath you. And so if we serve God in the little things, I got three quick principles from this passage uh, this evening. And principle number one, God calls the little regarded. God calls the little regarded. Look at verse six. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Verse seven has 
really what I feel to be the definitive verse in this entire passage. God does not look on the appearance and he does not see as man sees, but God looks at our hearts. If we're not careful, we can miss, though, what precedes that statement. Samuel looked at Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab was tall, handsome. He had a certain presence about him. He looked like he was an important man. But God did not choose Eliab because he wanted a man after his own heart. And we're going to see uh, in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, that is uh, the well-known story of David fighting Goliath. And when David went off to the battle to see his brothers and to deliver supplies to them and see how the battle went, he heard Goliath railing against God, railing against Israel. And David was offended by that. And he began to ask around, why isn't anyone going out and fighting this guy? And what happens to the man that defeats this giant? And Eliab looks at David and said, oh, I know your pride. I know the naughtiness of your heart. He accused David of ulterior motives. Eliab judged David incorrectly, and he seems to have jumped to a conclusion without a good reason. He was not suitable to be Israel's next king. Today, if you go to Israel, the name and memory of David are everywhere. Buildings named after David, monuments, hotels, restaurants, parks, they all bear King David this, King David that. He is the king by which all other leaders in Israel are judged. But let me just say this, it wasn't always that way. Was David actually regarded lightly? I don't know, you tell me. Jesse and all of his sons were invited to a feast and nobody bothered to tell David. And just before David was anointed to be king, he was tending the flocks of his father. They didn't really think, his, his own family didn't think that it was really important that he meet God's priest or attend that feast. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29 says, For ye see your calling, brethren. Let me just stop right there. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he is addressing the entire church. And, of course, he's addressing them as brethren, that is to say brothers and sisters in the Lord, fellow believers. And he says, ye see your calling. See, we have a tendency sometimes as Christians to think, well, the pastor's been called, the missionary's been called, but I'm just someone who works in the church and does a little here or there. No, listen, if you've been saved, you have been called of God. Now, not everyone is called to the ministry in terms of full-time Christian service, getting a paycheck from a church or what have you. Not everyone is called to be the pastor or the missionary, but we are all called to serve the Lord. And so Paul writes, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Did you get that? God takes the little regarded. You say, why is that? Because that's how God gets glory. See, if, if 
the, the guy with all of the talent and all of the brains and all of the finances sets out to serve the Lord, it's very easy for someone to say, well, sure, he could do it because he had all of these advantages. By the way, that's not to minimize his service. I think we understand we're in a spiritual struggle and I say praise the Lord for the man of means or the woman of means who uses those resources to serve God. But more often than not, the Bible doesn't say that not any like that are called, but he says not many. Not many. Not many take up the challenge to serve the Lord. They were noble or mighty. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. I can remember, let me, I don't want to take up too much time. I do want to get you out of here early. But I remember when this building was being built. I remember the struggle. And we have a tendency, and I'm sure your pastor has mentioned to those of you who were not here at the time, he's probably mentioned a number of times the financial struggles, but I'll be very candid with you. The struggles with the town of New Hartford were far greater than the financial struggles because there was opposition to this building being built. And every time a window went in, they would say, that's not right, tear it out. Every time a door went in, move that. Drywall that or put sheetrock up there and move the door over here. And there was more work and more rework and there was a lot of money that was sunk into this building that absolutely it was not necessary, but there was open opposition. And I wondered at times if this church was ever gonna get built, not because God couldn't do it, but I thought a normal man would pull his hair out by now. But you know, your pastor was humble and he put up with it. And I know there were times he probably wanted to go into the New Hartford Town Hall and slay utterly, <laughs> but he didn't. And you know what? I think, though I look at your pastor and, and he really is uh, uh, someone whom I respect greatly, but you know what? I think God put this church here because it doesn't glorify Marty's shot, but it glorifies Jesus Christ. God got that victory. No human could overcome the opposition to this church. God did that. The point here is very simple. If I can say just one other thing, your pastor is hilarious. You probably, you may not see it, but that guy has some funny stories. When I first moved up here, he told me the story of how he went to Bible college. And, and if you've never heard it, you have to ask him. He's like, he, you know, he didn't come from a family of, of believers. And uh, uh, it wasn't like he came out of a, a family that all went to church and all of that. And he said, he goes, he said, my, my first week at Maranatha, I find out you got to have so many jackets and you got to wear uh, dress clothes to class and to dinner in the evening. And, and he said, I, I didn't have that many clothes. And I think he, he says something, he said something funny to me one time. He said, uh, he said, by the third day, I was wearing red pants. <laughs> and he said, I had like, and they kept telling me, you know, your pastor still, even to this day, he has a thick head of hair. He said, I, had, I was wearing red pants and I had three haircuts. And, uh, you know, he just kept on going, dogged determination. God uses people like that. God uses, and I am sure when they looked at him at Maranatha Baptist Bible College, they probably said, this freshman kid who's had three haircuts, wearing red pants and the same jacket three days in a row, he isn't going to anywhere. He'll never amount to anything in the ministry. But God uses little regarded men and women 
who become unlikely heroes. And I don't say that to, to puff up your pastor. I say it for all of you. You may have listened to the lies of Satan as Satan whispers in your ear and says, you can't do it. Hey, you can't do it. But God working through you can. And you're exactly the kind of person God wants to use. You simply need to make yourself eligible for his call. Take care of the little things. Serve in the here and now. Serve where you are. Serve in this church. God will take care of the rest. God will take you from the meadow to the mansion. And so God calls the little regarded. If we're going to serve God in the little things, we need to remember God calls the little regarded. But God uses those who are faithful. Look at verse 10. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, and we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. I've mentioned this already, but when Samuel began to view the prospective candidates for royalty, David was in the field watching over his family's sheep. And the Bible describes David's appearance as ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance. And ruddy simply means red. And I can imagine in my mind, he, he, David was still very young at this point, and he probably had those rosy cheeks that are often associated with youth. And the Bible says he had a beautiful countenance. You know what we'd say today? He's a handsome young man. He's cute. All the girls would have liked David. He was cute. And this description of David's appearance is not a negative, but it conveys a youthfulness that would betray the idea that this young man would become Israel's next king. But David had the one quality necessary for service to God. He was faithful. He kept the sheep, which apparently was not considered a very valuable responsibility, but David did it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Once David was anointed, God began to afflict Saul with an evil spirit. And this manifested itself in fits of depression and anger. And so Saul's advisors recommended that he have someone play a harp for him to soothe him and drive away the evil spirits. And David was chosen to play before Saul. And whether his family knew it or not, David's reputation had already begun to grow. I don't know who found out about David, but when Saul's servant recommended David to the position of royal musician, he said that David was, quote, cunning in playing and a mighty, valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person. And the Lord is with him, unquote. How does someone get that kind of reputation? Well, it's the result of being faithful. And I, I don't want to move too far ahead in our story, but in chapter 17 is, of course, the story of David and Goliath. And when David went up against Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know, he had to appear before Saul, and he tells the story of some of his exploits as a shepherd. When he was watching his father's sheep, a lion, and a bear attacked the flock and took sheep. And David protected his flock, killing both animals. And it would be a fearful thing as an adult to face off against a lion or a bear. But David did it as a youth. 
And it was an indication of his faithfulness to the task of watching those sheep. You may ask yourself this evening, how does being a shepherd qualify one to become a king? And the short answer is it doesn't, but faithfulness does. And he was faithful where he served. He was faithful as a shepherd, and God calls faithful people. And so we need to serve God in the little things, understanding that God calls the little regarded. God calls those who are faithful. But lastly, God enables those he calls. He enables those he calls. Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. When Samuel anointed David to be king over Israel, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. I don't want to get into some lengthy discussion of the ministry of the, Old Te- uh, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. It's a little bit different. But we who have trusted Christ as Savior, we possess the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up a residence in our hearts. This passage, however, is addressing the Holy Spirit's ministry as a ministry of empowerment, to empower David for the task ahead. God, the Holy Spirit, comes upon David here to, for the purpose of enabling him to be the king that God desires him to be. And here's the lesson. When David defeated Goliath, he was supposed to marry Saul's oldest daughter, He didn't do so. He did later marry the younger daughter of Saul. And when Saul offered his oldest daughter to David, David asked in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? David is basically saying here, I'm not royal material. Who am I? My family's poor family in Israel. I'm just a shepherd. He may very well have thought that exact same thing about being the king of Israel, but guess what? God enabled the shepherd boy to become the next king of Israel. He not only became king in terms of his title, but he became a great king, beloved throughout all Israel and respected there to this very day. You say, how did that happen? Well, God enabled him. And you may look at God's call to serve and you say, much like David, who am I? I'm nobody. I can't do that. None of us can. But God is able. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 tells us that God will sanctify us and present us holy and blameless before our Savior Jesus Christ at his coming. You say, Pastor, do you believe that? Absolutely, I do. You said, you you might say, how can you be so sure? Because the next verse that follows, verse 24 says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. If God has called you to serve him, and he has, he will enable you to do it. You can answer God's call. You can serve the Lord with confidence. God will perform his will through you. I've been preaching through 1 Samuel to our church. And uh, you sort of start off 
the book of Samuel and you're talking about Samuel as a young man, a little boy going to serve with Eli and it passes on to Israel once a king and they anoint Saul to be their next king and the Bible focuses on Saul. But when we come to chapter 16, there's a transition from Saul to David. But it also right here shows a contrast between two servants of God. Samuel is moving ever, ever closer to the end of his life. And David is still rel relatively close to the beginning of his. And the opening of this chapter is very interesting. Though my message focuses on David and his character, I think we would do well to note that Samuel was faithful throughout his life. Samuel also did the little things. He was also faithful. And even though God had pronounced judgment on Saul, Samuel continued to pray for him and mourn over Saul's rebellion. And God eventually asked Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? This was God's way of letting Samuel know that the time for mourning had ended. God had another task for Samuel to perform. And the lesson for us is never to allow our sorrow to paralyze us such that it prevents us from serving. As we look at David, we see an unlikely choice to be king when we view him from a human perspective. Even his own family didn't see David as the type of person to be a king. He was simply the youngest, the runt, the shepherd boy. But David was faithful to the task to which he was assigned. And we can learn from his example. If you want to do more for the Lord, and I hope you do, do more where you are. Nobody else may notice, but God will. He doesn't miss anything. And you don't have to serve the Lord. You get to serve the Lord. It's a privilege. But be content where you're serving. You know, the great apostle, Paul, didn't always serve in easy circumstances. In fact, much of his life was filled with hardship in the ministry. But Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Don't be jealous of others. That was Saul's problem. He was jealous. He always wanted more, not for God's glory, but for his own. Be content where you're serving until God moves you. Never fear God's call. If he wants you to serve in some capacity or in some location that frightens you, just remember that God is faithful. He didn't call you to embarrass you. He didn't call you to see you fail. He called you so that you could serve him. And he'll, he will enable you to do just that. And finally, we should never lose sight of the fact that the way up is down. The higher we ascend for Christ, the more we must humble ourselves to serve. Wherever you are, right there, right here, you can serve Christ. Be faithful over the little things, and God will take care of the big things. Every Christian must serve God in the little things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that we would heed the message this uh, evening. I pray that we would understand that it is a privilege to serve you. And I pray that we would see that you've called everybody to serve, no exceptions. I pray we'd take that task seriously and we would serve right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.